Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. What's happening, Wild Black listeners? It's uh, an oddity to hear my voice before the actual session, so just let you know that what I got to tell you is pretty important. I really want you to pay attention to today's episode because it's a, a real topic. It's a sensitive topic, and it impacts a lot of us, a lot more than you may realize. We're talking about mental illness today. We've got an amazing guest in Dr. Harrison. He's going to give you a lot of information. But before we really get into it, I just wanted to share a couple of resources. So if you are dealing with mental illness or if you know anyone who is dealing or you even suspect, I want to make sure you go and you check out the National Alliance of Mental Illness or NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org. There's a ton of information there to help you. In addition, if you live in this area or you just have any questions, you can catch our guest today, Dr. Harrison, by visiting harrisondavis.com. Or you can catch his podcast, Two Therapists and a Microphone, anywhere you listen. Lastly, this is the last episode to drop before these elections come up. And I know a lot of you all feel like your voice may be minimized. But if you listen to this show, then you're interested in growing, changing, and making an impact. So even if you do feel like your voice is minimized, please go out to those polls on Tuesday and vote. Because the one thing I can tell you is that if you don't vote, then you have no voice. Georgia, go support Stacey Abrams. Go support Lucy McBath. That's it. Enjoy the podcast. Catch me later. Peace. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast. Bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Thank you for tuning in today. This recording was done at DRS ATL Studios in Roswell, Georgia. As usual, I'm so glad to have you here with us today. You got Vince with you, riding solo today. Art's got some family business he's got to take care of, so we wish him well, and he'll be back on the next episode. But I want to go through this business just as usual. We come to you week after week. We share with you success strategies, stories. We give you relevant information. We create awareness for you. And we want to keep doing that, but we need your help too. I want you to go and share this podcast with a few folks, people who you think will enjoy the content or could benefit from the content. On top of that, please hit up iTunes, leave us a five-star review, tell us what you think, and we'll keep on churning these episodes out for you. Now, the show today, just like always, is another good one. Today's topic to a lot of people is taboo. But it really shouldn't be. As a matter of fact, I can think of 7 million recent reasons that today's episode 
should not be taboo. What are we talking about today? Today is about mental illness and mental health in the black community. And it's something that we should be talking a lot more about, a lot more frequently, a lot more in depth, a lot more openly, a lot more honestly, because so many of us deal with mental illness. And if you aren't dealing with it, you know someone who is, whether they've told you or not, there's mental illness in your life, in your family, and around you. So pay attention as we talk today. But just like normal, I can't give you all the information that you need. I'm a smart guy. I've got some thoughts. But we need to bring you credible information from industry experts, and today is no different. So I want to welcome Dr. Harrison Davis to the show today. Dr. Harrison, welcome, brother. It's good Thank to you. have you here. It's good to have you here. I'm glad to be here. Oh, yeah. So while black listeners, I'm going to take a few seconds. I'm going to walk you through Dr. Harrison's bio, and then I'm going to turn it over to him so he can just talk to you just a little bit and let you know a little bit more about him. And then you know we're getting into our wild black shit. So Dr. Harrison is a Ph.D. graduate from the University of Arkansas and an associate professor of clinical mental health counseling at the University of North Georgia. He's a licensed professional counselor and has accrued over 20 years of clinical experience, giving him a unique perspective of what is possible in terms of personal growth and change. So he's a brother who's got some experience. He's seen some things and he can help us all be better. So again, Dr. Harrison, welcome to the show. Tell the people a little bit more about you. Well, I'm Dr. Harrison Davis. Um, I'm from Atlanta, by the way. I'm one of the few. That's it. The natives of Atlanta. Uh, we've become uh, a minority <laughs> in our own city, but I'm glad to be here to be on your show. We love to have you here. So what we always do, we warm up a little bit. We got some wild black shit. Are you ready for some fun? Some wild questions? Wild black shit. Okay. Wild black shit. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, I always give the forewarning. There's three questions here. Okay. If you miss too many, we just shut the interview down. Everybody goes home. Okay. Okay. So. Do I have an option or do, you, I, do I have to answer every question? No, there, there are two options. You can either answer the questions or you can answer the questions. And then we go from there. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Hit me. <laughs> it's fun, though. Okay. All right. Question number one. You're at the family reunion. You're in the food line. You're getting to the front of the line. But you look down, and there are three dishes that are empty, completely gone. The family's eating them. You're so angry, you storm out of the family reunion. You don't even, you don't come back. They ate these dishes, and you're done. For you, what are those three dishes that would warrant you leaving the family where they stand? That would be banana pudding, <laughs> for sure. Okay, store-bought or homemade? Uh, homemade. Better be. That's okay. the only way to eat banana right? pudding. Listeners, he's safe. <laughs> so banana pudding, uh, I love homemade hamburgers okay. from fresh ground beef. Right. Uh, egg or no egg in the batter, in the mix? No egg. No egg, okay. No egg in the batter. Uh, and the third one, um, maybe some macaroni and cheese. Okay. But I tell you, you know, I, I won't be storming out. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be yelling, who ate my shit? <laughs> That's what I'm going like to do. That. I'm not I running like out nowhere at my family reunion. <laughs> Somebody better go get my banana pudding. Somebody run me my mac and cheese. That's right. That's what I would do. <laughs> oh. All right. Okay. Question number two. We're going to take a step more towards serious, sure. but not too serious. Hit me. From all the advice that your parents gave you while growing up. 
What one piece of advice stuck the hardest? One piece of advice. You know what? It wasn't words. Right. That my parents gave me that stuck with me. It was their actions. Okay. They were hard workers. They had good work ethic. Right. And they didn't let anything stop them. They had to drop out of college. Right. Um, uh, because of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, I saw them keep that family together, work hard, right. uh, create a good wholesome home for us, myself and my sisters. And that is what stuck with me. You know, you don't, it doesn't matter your circumstances. Right. You know, you can make whatever the life that you want. Right. And that was the example that it gave me. And that's what stuck with me. I love that. More than anything else. I love that. For me, um, there were a couple of things, but the example you gave is, is amazing. I can remember my father, he used to work shift work when I was younger. And I'd see him coming in sometimes three in the morning. Yep. And it would change. He'd be leaving at five in the afternoon or four in the morning. And he would sit me down often and just remind me of how hard yep. I was going to have to work as a black man in this country. And that is something that has stuck with me to this day, too. Yep. Now, it it doesn't mean... I think my level of dedication to one job is different than my father's. Okay. Because I have bounced. I've spent, I think the longest I've spent at any company has been maybe eight years. Times have changed. Right. But I, I go in very strategically. I get the education, the skills that I look for, and I bounce and go someplace else to keep developing that. Gotcha. And then I began to turn into my own thing. So I, I love I love that demonstrative advice, if that's yes. even a word. That's right? exactly what it consistent yeah. demonstration. Okay, so we're going to move to our last question. This is our signature question on Wild Black. It's what we ask everybody who comes through here. What do you love most about life, Wild Black? Wow, you asked some deep questions. What do I love most about being black? Um, I grew up in a black environment. Right. You know, black schools, black neighborhoods, Southwest right. Atlanta, and I enjoyed it. Now that I'm an adult, I've had to uh, move closer to my job. Right. So I'm no longer in a black space. Right. Uh, and it's nothing wrong with it living in the suburbs. <laughs> uh, however, when I go back to some type of environment, some event or something, uh, I enjoy the company. Uh, black folks enjoying life, enjoying the fact that the sun is beaming down and we can turn anything into a block party. That's we don't it. even need a reason. And I enjoy that. No, no matter what's going on in their personal lives, we can celebrate something. Right. And I enjoy that because I see in a different environment, there needs to be a reason <laughs> and it has to be planned. And with black folks, uh, I just love their spirit. I love that environment. I love being in a black space. So I have to be intentional now to find those black spaces so I can participate in it. And it can happen anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's what I love about black folks, just the spirit uh, that they can bring to any type of situation. You and I have something in common. We both spent time in what I call uh, Little Town Big Businessville, right? Okay. So you're familiar with that. So when I hear you talk about that black space and appreciating it, it makes me reflect on all my time that I spent in Little Town Big Businessville yep. and how seeing us, maybe at work, you'd see us around, but the moment you left and we all dispersed to our homes, yep. there was no true black area. Nope. You drive down the interstate and you might see one or two. 
every one or two you saw, you either knew, thought you knew, or you were pulling them over to, to, to meet them. I sure did. Right. So I completely <laughs> understand where you're going. And here for me, I'm just like you. I, I live in the northern suburbs of Atlanta. There's not a whole lot of me around here. Yeah. Um, I, I bought here for various reasons, schools, proximity to work and all that. But there is something that's there's something valuable about seeing us around us. And, and I yeah. recognize that so much of the world, especially so much of this country, sees a group of us and wants to go the opposite direction. Yeah. Whereas I am the very opposite. I see a group of us and that's exactly where I want to go. I feel yeah. the most comfortable yeah. around us. Yeah. Even good. though, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm glad to hear you say that. So, now that we've gone through our wild black shit, we know Dr. Harrison a little bit. We want to move into that. That's episode. all the black shit you're gonna ask? Oh, there's, there's plenty more black <laughs> shit coming. <laughs> well, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> so, what we always do is we love to lay out a literary thematic that grounds the entire episode. So, I want to take a second and read to you a quote that leads into everything we're talking about. And listeners, for your information, we're going deep again on mental health, mental illness, and the black community. We have Dr. Harrison Davis with us today. So I want to read the literary piece. At the root of the dilemma is the way we view mental health in this country. Whether an illness affects your heart, your leg, or your brain, it's still an illness, and there should be no distinction. Michelle Obama. I'll read that one more time. At the root of the dilemma is the way we view mental illness in this country. Whether an illness affects your heart, your leg, or your brain, it's still an illness and there should be no distinction by Michelle Obama. So, Dr. Harrison, when you hear that quote, what are the first few things that come to mind? Uh, the first thing that stood out was uh, the root of the dilemma. Right. Which indicates there's a problem. Right. There's an issue. There's something unresolved with this. Uh, and it sounds like the issue that's uh, not resolved is that mental illness is not being treated the same way as a medical issue. Right. Uh, like a broken leg or having some type of illness uh, like diabetes or even lupus or right. something like that. And that there needs to be more attention paid to it. And that has caused some dilemmas, right. some situations that a lot of people are dealing with in our society. Right. That's how I was interpreting that right. quote. So when you, you start talking about the fact that she says there's a dilemma, so therefore there must be a problem. We'll, yep. we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more later, but I want to kind of ask a question now. When we start talking about mental health in the black community and the dilemma that's there, what's the associated problem for black folks and mental health? Well, black folks and mental health. Um, well, uh Nationally, just to make it a little bit more global, mm -hmm. you know, mental illness is a condition that affects many communities. Right. Uh, and so many communities, regardless of their race and ethnicity, they're, they're experiencing some problems with this. Right. With mental illness. So black folks are no different. Right. Than other cultural, ethnic groups or regional groups um, as well. Uh, but specifically with black folks, when it comes to mental illness, there are some stigmas that are, that are there, and those stigmas are beginning to go away. You know, how we perceive mental illness, whether or not we can recognize that that is a mental illness, or is that normal? You know, I see a lot of people normalizing some of the stress and the ordeals that individuals are going through. So we need to take it seriously so that right. we can seek out 
the help. And there's a shame that's also associated with uh, having some type right. of mental illness. And so that stops people from sharing their suffering or even seeking out some help with that. But if we can start there, uh, that that would help turn around some conditions within the black community. That would be a great place to start. I'm with you. So while we're talking about a great place to start as it refers to black folks and mental health, I want to run through some numbers that I looked up. So in place of our, our civil wrong this week, we're just going to talk some data that's, that's applicable to mental health, mental illness. So 13% or 46 million people in this country are African-American. 13% of this population is African-American. Of that, 16% have had a diagnosable mental illness in the last year. And those are the ones who went to the hospital or the doctor right. to get a diagnosis. Right. So the number is probably significantly larger Absolutely. because some of those people just stayed at home and said, I'm having a bad day or I'm going to pray this thing away. Absolutely. Yep. So that 16% of that 46 million equates to 7 million black people managing mental illness that's been diagnosed. So like Dr. Harrison said, some of these people haven't spoken up and are not counted here. So the number is larger. But just to put that in context, 7 million people is larger than Chicago, Houston, and Philadelphia all put together. So those are all some highly black cities with a whole lot of black folks. If you take every person, not just the black folks in those three cities, push them all together, you still have not touched the number of African-Americans who are diagnosed with mental illness in this country, let alone the African-Americans who deal with it in this country. So on top of that, African-Americans suffer from mental illness around the same rate as whites. But the consequences of mental illness in the African-American community last longer. On top of that, we are disproportionately burdened with disability as a result of our mental illness. I have a feeling that's probably from the way we may or may not treat it, but Dr. Harrison can talk about that a little bit more. The last thing is rates of depression are actually lower in the African-American community, again reported, versus Hispanics and whites. But mental health and mental illness issues in our community are significantly more persistent. So... Through a lot of information out there. But the question I have that I want to start with is, knowing that we suffer from mental illness the same as do other races by diagnosis, why is it that mental health and mental illness for us is more persistent, hits us harder, and leads to unemployment and disability more so than other races? Gotcha. So let me answer that um, in, a, in a different way. Let, let, let's first make sure we're on the same page, right. everybody, about what is a mental illness, because there are Good different point. groups, different classes or clusters of mental illnesses that are out there. The one that uh, the group of mental disorders that people may be familiar with are what we call the psychotic disorders. And those are individuals who are diagnosed with something like schizophrenia, delusional mm -hmm. disorder, and they tend to have a struggle. They tend to struggle with trying to stay connected with reality. Right. Sometimes they may see things that are not there or they may believe things that are not true, and this makes them operate that those assumptions are real and they can be far-fetched right. assumptions like... Um, 
aliens are coming down uh, and they're going to kill all of us, so they become paranoid. Right. Those are the psychotic, that's an example, right. of the psychotic disorders. There's a different group of disorders out there that I tend to see a lot of, and that would be the mood disorders. Mm -hmm. And the mood disorders are... Uh, things like depression, anxiety, bipolar, uh, seasonal affective disorder. And basically, those are much more common mm -hmm. with everybody. Uh, and that's your inability to regulate your mood. Right. Or um, um, the mood, the reaction to something isn't necessarily warranted. Right. You know, anybody can become depressed. Right. You know, you can get some bad news about someone or a death right. of a friend a or depression. family member. And, of course, we all get depressed right. or feel low about it, feel down. But we work our way back uh, to a healthy functioning area. And anybody be can become anxious about something, overly right. anxious about something or a little bit frightened about something. You know, uh, if I'm almost in a car accident, you know, and I'm driving, it takes me a moment to compose myself because I know what could have happened right. with my daughter in the back seat. So I need to regroup right. <laughs> personally. It takes me about a minute or two uh, to do that. But that can happen to anybody. But now imagine you reach those points, you know, with extreme anxiety, uh, anxiousness or depression and sadness. And there really isn't a trigger. Right. And you're just stuck. Right. As if you just came from a funeral every day. Or you are reacting to something. Somebody didn't return a phone call or something like that. Or I'm still anxious and upset about that near accident that happened two months ago. Right. I'm acting like it just happened this morning. Gotcha. And so you can't shake this mood. You can't regulate it. You can't control it. And those are the mood disorders. And the mood disorders are much more common than the psychotic disorders. Gotcha. The psychotic disorders, they happen and they're tough. I mean, they're they're severe and it requires medication, sometimes hospitalization and uh, psychotherapy uh, with that. And so within the, and there's a different class, I don't need to go into the personality disorders. These mm -hmm. are disorders that are more ingrained within your personality and they include some delusions sometimes and mood disorders. But what happens in the black community, sometimes we, we, we have normalized anger. Right. We have normalized feeling bad. It's just a part of life or they're just going through something and it, and it happens persistently. And then the rest of us, we grow up in environments sometimes where hostility is always there and you just think that's normal or uh, uncle so-and-so is always drinking every weekend. He's drunk. Don't go talk to auntie so-and-so. You know, she's going to curse you out. Right, that's just and, how she is. And, and so we grow up, but that's just how she is, believing that that is normal. Or it's just normal behavior, you know, for someone to go around cursing people out <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and so we grow up minimizing that. And that stops a lot of black folks from going out seeking some help because they don't even recognize that it is a problem. And I've never really thought about it. And that's, that's my that personal way. view. Well, that, that, I think that's great because I mean, th the point you're making is that we just get so, so used to seeing. Yeah mental illness depicted in our lives. Yes. 
that it just becomes our lives. There's nothing wrong with that person. That's just how he is. That's yes. just how she is. And and we we write it off or, you know, we, we, we get used to it. And people tell you, don't go mess with Uncle So-and-so. He's over there drinking again. Right. And you grow up thinking, wow, he was drunk like every weekend, you know. And he was always, <laughs> family was always leaving. And, you know, this ordeal. And you don't recognize that until you're an adult. Now, the more serious psychotic disorders, we we will seek some help for that because at that point, you you can't function right. sometimes when you're completely delusional and paranoid. You can't leave the house, you know, or you're hearing something that's not really there or right. no noise is there. So at that point, uh, luckily, a lot of friends and family members will encourage that person to go seek some help. But the mood disorders can be uh, just as devastating and debilitating right. uh, sometimes. And um, because we have normalized it so much as a part of life, um, we, we've convinced ourselves that this is just, uh, it comes with the package. Right. For, right. For, for living and you just got to deal with it. And usually we deal with it by going to church, you know, and, and trying to, pray away some of those feelings or minimizing the actions of others who hurt us. Right. You know, I just got to deal with it as opposed to looking at it for what it really is. And when you're not dealing with it, some of that stress just grows in intensity. And eventually, if it's untreated and it goes on for a long time, it can become one of the more psychotic disorders that are out there. And I love the way you broke that down. <laughs> I almost forgot I was here for a second. I was just listening. Okay, so one question I have from that. Yeah. Um, because as you start talking about the psychotic disorders yeah. and the hearing voices and things like and that. Delusional. Right. Delusional. I'm sure someone listening rolled their eyes and thought, those people are just crazy. They should just tell themselves that that voice isn't real. They should ignore it and they should go on. I love if you just take a moment and kind of break down because from my understanding, it's no... The people suffering from those psychotic disorders feel no different than you and I talking. As much as I'm sitting here and I recognize you're in front of me, we're having this conversation and I hear your voice, that is my reality. That these people who suffer from these psychotic disorders have the same type of feeling where they can't physically, mentally, cannot d distinguish between what's real yes. and what's not real. So That's that correct. voice they, they're hearing, it's they're real. really hearing it. Just like I'm sitting here talking to you. And now all of a sudden, I close my eyes and I open my eyes back and I'm sitting in my car, you know, and that's that's the, that's the difference. Wow. And and for them, that's their reality. Or they can't tell if they're dreaming mm -hmm. or it is real or if it's a little bit more functioning uh, with their disorder. Um, they're just trying to fight back some of those thoughts. They wow. even remind themselves that's not real. You know, there's no shadow over there in the corner or uh, there's no one whispering in my ear telling me to go and shoot this person. So they're literally fighting with their self. Yes. That's, that, it just feels like such a tough and place And it's a daily battle. I've talked to some of those individuals. It is sad um, to see it and the things that we take for granted that we can just wake up in the morning, kiss right. our families, go to work, come home and relax, and the day is good. For them, it is a daily 
daily struggle trying to make sure no one's looking at them the wrong way, making sure they're not doing anything weird, making sure, uh, and they create little routines to make sure they are aware whether or not this is a dream or this is reality. And they try to push people out of their life so they can't see that they're actually having some type of psychotic disorder. So they tend to live isolated lives, and, and that is tough. Uh, for them to deal with. But yes, they hear those voices and, and they see things and they believe things. Um, and some of them don't feel uh, they're comfortable sharing some of those thoughts with mm-hmm. other people. And that's how we get to recognize that there's actually a problem. That's so I know we're already, I know what's going to happen. We're already way off script from the questions, but I think that's actually great. <laughs> so let me add another one. Okay, As you were, you were talking about the battle that they have in their minds and the fact that sometimes they're not even cognizant that it's happening, right? It's just their reality. Yeah. So two questions from that for the person who's managing that right now, who may be hearing these voices and trying to fight between reality and perceived reality. How do they begin to find help when they can't distinguish between the two? Yeah. So, um, What I like to ask people sometimes, what type of feedback are you receiving from your friends, Hmm. your family members? Or is it always happening where you're asking someone, what did you say? And they go, I didn't say anything. Or they Hmm. hear a noise, like someone's talking to them, and they go looking, and there's no one there. Now, after a while, you realize there is an issue Right. And if you realize there is an issue, they, you know, they are embarrassed by it and they think it's going to just go away. Uh, what I encourage some of those people to do is that you don't have to suffer. You don't have to deal with it by yourself. Right. There, there is some help. You know, there are some facilities, there's medication, there's psychotherapy. Uh, there are different types of treatments that can help you to live a normal life or something closer to it. Gotcha. That's what I encourage them to do. But listen to the people around you. Listen to the feedback or the typical comments or questions um, that you might hear. And we can just start with that. You actually answered my second question, too. So appreciate that. All right. So I want to jump in and ask a couple of these questions. So we've already talked about what mental health, what mental illness is, what mental health is. We've talked about basically what's black about it already. But... Talk to me about some common mental health issues that you see in this community. In the black community. So uh, they're mostly the mood disorders. And like I mentioned before, uh, and if, if it goes untreated, it can easily become one of the, uh, they can, they can um, demonstrate some psychotic features with it. But I have seen a lot of, uh, symptom-wise, a lot of anger hostility, depression, Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes it's difficult to tell whether it's anxiety that's uh, fueling some of that hostility and anger or isolation, Mm -hmm. or if it is the depression. Sometimes um, one can mask the other one. Right. I see a lot of issues with relating to other people and an inability to um, manage or maintain a healthy relationship, whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship. So uh, I'm talking about the dude who's like 37, 38, 39, and he's realizing he's never been in a healthy relationship. And he's realizing he's sabotaged 
right. his last few relationships. He's realizing those girls, those women who he was trying to date or the relationships, they all told him the same thing. And it has to do with his mood or how he handles things or, or uh, some of the poor decisions uh, that he's made. Uh, so now he's beginning to uh, confront some of those things. And, it, and it, it eventually is diagnosed many times as anxiety, as depression. And it can sometimes lead to some type of addiction of alcohol or some other mood-altering substance that is out there or pornography. So mm-hmm. I see a lot of addictions. Sometimes it's not always a substance. Gotcha. Uh, sometimes poor decisions, risky behavior, being fueled by the anxiety and the depression. And ultimately, it ruins relationships. And that includes family relationships. That includes a significant other, a partner, children. And so that cycle just continues. And they become stressed out and this inability to make good, healthy decisions. That's what I usually see in my practice. That's what brings people in. That's what makes them um, call me to um, make an appointment. And then we discover some of these other issues that are out there. Now, those are just the symptoms that I see that I help my clients to manage and eventually minimize and eliminate However, what I am realizing, uh, my personal philosophy <laughs> of what's going on with black folks in the United States, we, we're, we're still dealing with um, historical trauma. Right. We're, we're, we're still dealing with some of the stuff from two centuries ago. Right. We're slavery still dealing case. with centuries of slavery. We're still dealing with uh, centuries of our black women being raped, about black men being beaten and killed, uh, going missing, children being taken away. And then when slavery legally ended, we still had to deal with some of the repercussions of it and enter into a new system right. where we're still being taken advantage of. Women still raped. Men still killed and beaten. Right. Children still taken away. And so those black families who uh, worked hard to be part of this country's fabric, you know, they're left dealing with a system that did not want them and was hostile to them. And so eventually they did not operate well. And they passed along some horrible traditions Curses, some people like to call them, generational curses, from one generation to another one. And so they learn to survive uh, during a certain time, and it's unfortunate, but many of our black families are dealing with the same issues. The black man is missing. Right. Or ineffective, poor decision-making, dealing with depression. The black woman is overwhelmed afraid, feels vulnerable, trying to do all that she can raising black children on her own. Right. When many times she's not equipped to deal with the emotional uh, reality of being an adult. Right. And she's doing a job that's meant for two people by herself. And he can't deal with it. And uh, maturity is is lowered, uh, not able to operate in these systems that are out there. And so much of what we're dealing with, much of the mental illness is um, directly related to the historical hostility that's been placed on us. Right. And our inability to deal with it. It was a hell of a lot to deal with, and we're still dealing with it. 
Absolutely. So that's that's a that's a lot to hear. And I'm sure there's someone out there thinking, what does slavery have to do with me? So two questions from that. How do you explain the impacts of slavery on someone today gotcha. who doesn't want to believe it? And then the second question, probably the more important question is, what do we do as a culture and as a people to begin to fix that? Well, you don't have to believe it. <laughs> you don't have to believe it. It's affecting it. you whether you, you believe it or not. You keep doing what you are doing. You keep looking at your families where the men are missing. The women go from man to man, three kids by three different uh, men, trying to raise those kids on their own. You look at the men who are still living with their mamas, and they're in their <laughs> 30s and 40s. You look at the women who have two kids by age 20, and you look at how we beat our own children, how the mm-hmm. men beat their wives, uh, how um, the, the relationship between the black man is not, uh, and the black woman is not strong. That's right. And we're not getting married, you know, and the ones who are are not staying married. Right. Our families are broken, and we are contributing to that because that's what our grandparents' grandparents used to do. Mm-hmm. They were forced to break up that family. Now, many times, we're doing it. And when you mm-hmm. grow up without a daddy in the house and you're a woman, why would you even think that you need a man? Right. And if you it's are tough. the guy and your daddy wasn't ever there, how do you know what to do? So you don't have to believe that none of that came from slavery. That's on you. Right. That's my personal the impact philosophy. Is there no matter what. It just didn't happen in 1956. <laughs> <laughs> It was always there, and we're still dealing with the repercussions of that. I don't know how we fix it. It's an ongoing issue. It it was created over centuries, and it's not going to go away overnight. And like I mentioned before, we're not the only community dealing with mental illness and mood disorders. I would like to see us address it more right? and seek out the help. Right. Do you think it can be fixed? I hope so. Like the, the reason I ask is because a couple of episodes back, we sat down with Sharon Morgan from Our Black Ancestry, and we talked about the impacts of slavery. And during that conversation, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the talk was about healing and how do we heal yeah. and if we can heal. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a lot of perspective out there, personal and professional, that have come to the realization that healing may not even be an option at this point anymore. I like to consider it an option. It's just not easy. <laughs> right. I sure hope I sure hope it's an option. <laughs> I, I hope is I tend to be optimistic. I, I'm hoping that it's an option. It's just not easy when we're in a society that reminds us of some power structures that are there. Every day. And and things are not legal like they used to be, but some of the statistics that you did not mention uh, were um poverty rates. Right. You know, basically a third of black people uh, uh, are living at the poverty line or lower. Below, and let me tell you, that's, that's poor. That is dirt poor. And so many others are just above the poverty line. That means they're poor. Right. They're still struggling, you know, just to pay their rent or find a good place, safe place to stay and buy food. And that creates chaos and stress mm-hmm. on individuals. And that system is in place. And it is tough to break that system when so many of us, almost 50 percent of us are poor and struggling. Right. 
And so those are some other reminders about the system that we live. And just like we mentioned earlier, our parents taught us a good work ethic. Right. And you you can't give up. And if this doesn't work out, then you need to try something different. That's right. Many of our black friends and family members out there, they never received that that message. That's right. I mean, I look at some of my cousins and distant relatives out there. I'm like, are we even related? (laughs) I understand. I understand. Because I didn't give up, but I see them give up at age 15. That's that's hurtful. And so that's a system in place that contributes to the chaos and the stress that we're dealing with that fuels poor decision making, Mm -hmm. that fuels anxiety and depression, that fuels hostility, and that cycle just continues to your offspring, whether you're there or not. So I tell people, you don't have to believe it. You can believe what you want. Wait and watch. But you better wake up. So one of the things you mentioned a couple times since we've been talking is stress. So what's the role of stress and mental illness? Stress is like the um, the oil in the engine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the engine that fuels the stress, uh, the mental illness. Uh, well, the stress keeps that engine going. The stress makes that engine work harder that causes the depression and anxiety and some of these psychotic features. When you're feeling good and then you're faced with a stressful situation that you feel like you can't get out of, there's no way out of it, that just brings all of that anxiety right back. Right. And some old unhealthy habits that you stopped doing, now you want to go drink. Now, you want to go and get involved in these activities that are mm-hmm. going to cause some problems. But when the stress is gone, you can ease, it's easier for you to manage some of that anxiety and depression. Gotcha. So it's a trigger. And gotcha. if it stays there and it's persistent, it keeps that engine going and that depression and anxiety becomes even more intensified. And, and does stress tie into both the mood and the psychotic disorders? Yes, it does. Okay. So when I... We're, we all deal with stress. We sure do. Every one of us deals with stress some kind Every of way. Day. <laughs> so <laughs> to help the to help the listeners understand when it's time to go get help and when it's not. Because as you're talking, I'm sure there's someone who's sitting back thinking, I'm worried right now. Right. I'm, I'm worried I'm, I'm going to lose my worry. job. I'm stressed about that. Gotcha. Or they're sitting back and like they're, they're dealing with stress all day long. How does that person know? When that stress and that feeling has gotten to an unhealthy place and yeah, it's time to I, go I get tell help. people, you don't have to wait. <laughs> you don't have to wait. Give me a call. Call a therapist. You can just get a checkup. Just like you go to your medical doctor once a year, twice a year when you get older. You know, just for a regular checkup, call a therapist. You, do, you don't have to have a pathological issue right. to come talk to us. Right. We can help you to make better decisions. We can be an outlet for you while you try to figure some things out to avoid some problems. And as your family evolves and it grows and you got to deal with new situations, come talk to us. We don't even have to mention depression and anxiety. I want to help you to avoid it. So I say that first. Right. Don't wait for a problem. Give us a call. And I think that is a, a great message to put out. So many of us, re- well, we don't do the best job going to the doctor, but the ones of us who do recognize 
once a year you go get that checkup. You just do it. You get your blood work done, your blood pressure. If you get a cold. Right. You get a cold that lasts three or four days. I better call the doctor because right. I don't like this. So it's outside of my routine. But but you just want to make sure it doesn't get any worse or there's some stomach ache or headache or something. I, I suggest to people the same thing. If you're just feeling overwhelmed and you can feel it and you're tired of feeling that way, come talk to us. That's great advice. But you don't have to wait. But, but when you do feel it, that's a clear indication you're not handling things well. Mm. So and you need some help. And you need some help. Uh, we can help you to um, minimize the right. situation. We can help you to make better decisions about the situation and to help you to cope with it a lot better. But you got to want to do it. Don't well, don't wait to go to the doctor. My analogy is that you 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 get a uh, you fall and you got a bruise right. on your leg, you know it can happen to anybody. It turns purple and it usually goes away in about a week or so. Right. Well, for some people, that bruise is still there two months later, two months after that. There's an open wound there, mm-hmm. and you're trying to wipe it with some alcohol. <laughs> That's not going to work. That's us, boy. <laughs> now that wound has gotten infected, and part of your leg is all blue and purple. Mm-hmm. So it has traveled from one area to the other. Why would you wait so long? What more evidence do you need that there is a problem? And that's what we're doing when it comes to mental illness in this community. So I get the people, they come in and a lot of my clients are black and it's like they waited so late. I'm like, brother, you should have come in months ago before you got arrested, before you went Uh, drinking and got the DUI before you got into a fight with your wife, you know, before you made that poor decision, you should have come in earlier. So now I'm doing triage. Mm -hmm. Now it's a crisis. You don't have to wait for it to be in a crisis. So now you're reactive care as opposed to proactive care. I'm I'm trying to stop the bleeding. Now it's a wound and it's infected. It's just an emotional wound. And I would have (laughs) preferred you come in when it was just a bruise. (laughs) Makes sense to me. (laughs) Makes sense to me. So it makes me think as we talk about as we talk about people coming in and seeking treatment, there's something, I don't know if it's really new, but it's it's been newly introduced to me. In medicine, you're starting to see more pop-up clinics, retail clinics, things like that for physical medicine. Urgent care. Right, urgent care. But in, in the mental illness space or the mental health space, I'm starting to see things pop up like talk space. And this is- It's I've, online. Right, it's online. You can text back and forth. You can jump in the chat room. What are your thoughts? Are those means effective, as effective, or is that is that a great is that a band aid that you can put on until they get to it's you? It's another form of treatment. Okay. And and research is just now beginning uh, to take a look at it. The preliminary findings are indicating uh, what we call telemental health. That's right. what it's called. And you can actually see your therapist uh, through an online platform. Right. And it's like video chat is encrypted. Right, uh, and it's through a certain software or platform, and they can provide counseling, psychotherapy to you from the comfort of your home. Gotcha. Uh, I'm, I'm old school, so when I first heard about that, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, I thought it was weird, right. you know, or it, it was just too strange. But now I, I'm an advocate for it. 
you know, wh whatever it takes to get people to talk to somebody right. in the privacy of your own home, on your tablet, laptop, or even your phone. And if that can help you to resolve your issues or uh, improve your coping skills, I, I don't I don't have a problem with it. I don't know about the chat service. Mm -hmm. That That is still strange to me. But doing video conference like Skype, right. but it's a different platform, right. it's encrypted. Um, something like that where you can actually talk to your therapist and you can see them and schedule an appointment. I, I like that idea. It's easy, it's convenient. Uh, telemedicine is becoming more common where you can talk to a nurse right. uh, that way. So I don't, I don't have a problem with it. There's little research on it, right. and it's not for everybody. Right. However, right. it's just a different form of treatment that I'm glad that it's available. Definitely better than nothing, too. It's better than nothing. And and, if, and that's how you can seek help. Let's, let's create it. Let's, let's improve um, some of those uh, software programs that are out there uh, to make sure there are no more bugs in them. Right. Uh, it was like inconsistent uh, video gotcha. connection to do that. But I, I like the idea. So what do you tell the person, small town, not a lot of medical treatment facilities around, um, and this person has an issue in which they need to go see someone like yourself. Okay. But their concern is, well, I don't want to walk into the office because I know I'm going to be seen by so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. Right? So just, just imagine this person, they're not tech savvy, so they're not going to go online. Yeah. Yep. What can you tell them to help them overcome that aspect of treatment, to, to make that not be the reason they don't go get help? Yeah. Like I said before, I, I, I encourage people to, you, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to deal with it on a daily basis. You know, you have a headache, we take an aspirin mm -hmm. or something similar to make the headache go away. You can do something to minimize those symptoms or to help you to cope better with the situation. Now, you're embarrassed. I would encourage you to, number one, try to get over that embarrassment. Mm -hmm. Or, number two, seek out help at another facility or another office right. somewhere nearby. It may require you to drive a little bit further. But nevertheless, why wait for that bruise to turn into an infected right. wound? Because that's exactly what right. happens. Gotcha. Okay. So while we're talking about going out and seeing that, that doctor, that counselor to help you, I want to talk a little bit about cultural competence. What are your thoughts? And I've seen many different arguments about this when you're, people are being told, go see a therapist or a counselor who looks like you versus just going to get help. How important is me being a black man sitting down with a black counselor? Well, I, I believe in cultural competence for all medical professionals, including those in the mental health field. Mm -hmm. I do training to make sure counselors and psychologists have a certain level of cultural competence so they can be effective with their clients. Uh, there's a lot of work to, to go with that, uh, more work that we need to have done. Uh, and at the same time, when it comes to black folks, many times they like to see somebody who looks like them. Right. They like to go to someone who uh, they believe can understand them. Right. Uh, and sometimes that's within us and our right. heads. And there are some therapists out there who are not great <laughs> relating to right. that black boy from the inner city, uh, grew up in a single-parent home, uh, working class, and he's he's beginning to make some poor decisions. He doesn't feel good about himself, and that therapist comes from a well-to-do suburban area, intact family, 
they have all the resources that they need that therapists may not be able to relate. Right. So it's no fault of their own or perhaps they need to put some more effort gotcha. into it. And then we do training to make sure that we can minimize judgment and try to relate to your client as best as possible. But many times, the black clients, they want to go to somebody who looks like them. And and many of my clients who are black, they went to another therapist who mm-hmm. happened to be white uh, because it was a moot issue mm-hmm. in, initially. They just want to go see a therapist. Mm-hmm. And they realize at a certain point, they need to talk to somebody where they don't have to explain things, right. you know, or they don't get strange questions about uh, some decision they made or they don't have to translate what they mean right. by using certain phrases. It, so what I hear from some of my clients who are black, they can be themselves. Right. They can talk their language. It doesn't matter what type of degrees they have. You know, let's just cut down that corporate personality you got and and show me you. And they feel comfortable doing that. And many of those clients who are black don't feel comfortable exposing that side of themselves to another type of therapist that are, that's out there. Right. When I think about it, it just it already feels so stressful day in and day out to code switch to explain, to answer the black question. So I can only yes. imagine that yes. if I'm going to get help to deal with my mental state, the last thing I want to do is the added stress of code switch or the, the stress that comes with not code switching, trying to explain everything. And to, and to add to that, the distrust that some yeah. of us have yeah. in white medical professionals right? Uh, that, that are out there. Uh, they, I mean, they, you know, my clients from the hood, I get them. I understand right. them. They're going to be them, whether they go to a white therapist or a right. black therapist. But now they trust me. And and when they tell me things, I can understand and I can relate to it. I may not make the same decisions. Right. And I may not have had the same experiences uh, as they had, but um, they feel much more comfortable revealing who they are to me. So it's a complicated it sounds like situation. Um, I do training in it to try to help all counselors to be effective regardless of who comes through the door. Mm-hmm. But like I mentioned before, we got a lot of work to do. It sounds pretty daunting, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, and just there's so much at risk. Yeah. Right. If it, if if you get it wrong, if it's someone's first experience, and that counselor or that therapist gets it wrong, the likelihood of that person seeking additional help feels like it just falls through the floor at that point. It, it decreases greatly. Yeah, that I is correct. It. Many of them they just go intentionally seeking out a black counselor. That's what they do. Right, And so part of my marketing plan and my website, I make sure there are key words out there so they can know that I am black. In case I like they can't that. tell if they look at my picture. <laughs> so <laughs> I make sure they know um, when they do their Google search and um, they find me and some of my colleagues, right. they do the same thing. So it's on both sides. It's complicated. Um, I don't know how to get around that. Sometimes, regardless of the training that I do, I don't see any difference right. in some of the therapists that I work with. Then I see ones, it is some therapists, it is so easy right. for them to relate to somebody who is different from them? It takes a little effort. It doesn't even require any training. It's just who they are. And Says they're doing the right thing. They're in the right place. You know, and and and, they, and who they are, and they're comfortable with who they are, and they know why they're doing this. And uh, not everybody's going to look like them. Talking about being comfortable, talking about trust, takes me to an, an obvious place: the police, right? African Americans and police have an interesting relationship at best. 
A so, contentious relationship. Very much is what so. I would call it. <laughs> so as we think about so many of these situations that we've seen unfold in the media, and some of them are directly tied to mental illness. Some of them are probably related to mental illness, but it's not spoken of. Yeah, we don't know. Right. You had the, the Could brother. Could be hostile police officers. Absolutely. So what's the police's role? What is the role of the police when it comes to helping patients in the middle of a mental break? So police officers are typically trained to deal with a number of situations, like domestic situations, to mm-hmm. diffuse it. And they're also trained to deal with mental health crises. All that, police? Uh, most police officers in the large metropolitan areas, okay. including the suburban areas around the urban cities. Gotcha. I can definitely say that. So they receive training because they're going to be called to situations where there's a mental health crisis. Right. It's either substance induced or not, but they have to be prepared to deal with it. And so they're 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 trained. Right. To deal with it. However, those police officers, they're humans. Right. They're people and, too. And right. some of them have their own issues. Right. You know, that's a high stress level career. Absolutely. And and some of those individuals are dealing with their own issues and they take it out on other individuals or they have poor coping skills or they don't know how to handle every situation. And so we we've heard of those situations about overreacting, you know, when they go to talk to a black person or arrest somebody who happens to be black or people calling the police on individuals who are black and they haven't broken any laws. Right. And then the police comes out and luckily more recently the police officers uh, appear to be prepared for those false alarms right. than in the past. However, black folks from certain communities are uh, distrustful. They, they, they don't they don't trust right. uh, police officers. Uh, they're cautious of the right. police force, and um, police officers have proven to them they're not there to protect them. Right. They're there to harm them. They're there to steal from them. They're there to place them in jail. Right. They're there to put them uh, away to get them in trouble. And so uh, there's a lot of distrust there, and unfortunately, there are some bad police officers. True. And 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 they're creating they're fueling that system that's in place where we don't want to we don't want to talk to them yeah you know we don't want to call you you're not any help uh, and so that's that's an unfortunate situation so a system in place that was designed to protect the public right and they protect other people you know who look like them but somehow they're harming us right somehow they're treating us like we're criminals when we haven't done anything wrong and so why would we enter into that system? Why would a mother call the police when her 16-year-old son is having a psychotic break? She knows what's going on, but she's afraid to call the police. So that's exactly what I'm thinking right now. So you've you've got this mom or this husband or this wife, and you don't want to call the police on your loved one who's in the middle of a psychotic break. Because you're afraid right. of what might happen. You don't want to. Happened so, in Atlanta two years ago out right. of Decatur. Uh, the veteran who came home and I think he was high on something, some type of psychotic break, and he was in an apartment complex, mm-hmm. and he was running around naked. Mm-hmm. He had no weapon. The neighbors called the police, and the boy was like 19 years old. He was shot by the mm. police officer. Was he killed? Yes, he was killed. And so there was a trial for the police officer, that's a clear example of what can happen. The man was running around nude, no clothes on, acting erratic. So he was—he didn't have a weapon. Mm-hmm. But somehow, when the police officer showed so up, and the neighbors were concerned. Right. He ended up getting shot. So what do you, what do you tell the people who care for 
the people in the middle of a break. So you don't want to call the police because you're concerned about how they're going to treat your loved well, we ones. We got to do something. What do we tell them? We can, we can't deal with it on our own. Right. You know, when when it's a severe psychotic break, you know, they can become dangerous. Mm-hmm. They can become violent. You know, they can think you are that enemy mm-hmm. who uh, is out to get them. Because again, because their, their perception, their reality is so skewed at this point. Absolutely. Right. Um, so uh, it's a tough situation. Ideally, if you can uh, have some friends, family members, preferably men, church members, mm-hmm. neighbors, to find a way to restrain Physically restrained. Physically. Right. And then call the police. That's not always possible. But in today's okay. time, it might be best to call the authorities and the police don't have to restrain them. So, and it cuts down on this erratic behavior that makes the police nervous that results in these shootings so often. And they overreact. And right. And they do something that's going to cause a lot of problems. You know, because I, I, don't, I don't have an easy answer. There, I don't that. think there are easy answers in this case. It, it's not. Wow. But, but But if if we can have someone else restrain the person, tie them up with an extension cord, something, mm-hmm. duct tape, whatever you can do, and then get the ambulance out there with the police officers, that would be a much more calm situation. But right. then you're putting other people at risk who may not know how to deal with a person in a mental health crisis. Right. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. And sometimes you got to call the police because now you're in danger. Right. You're, that's, you're, that's just tough all the way yes, around. Yes, it is. That's and it affects one. everybody. Absolutely. Right. So going back to cultural competence for a moment, if you, if you overlay co- the need for cultural competence in the mental health profession with the 7 million diagnosed African-American mental illness patients from just last year. Are there enough providers to help? What is what is the professional penetration of African-American providers in mental health industry look like? Well, we can always use more. <laughs> it's just like we can, we, can, we can benefit from more black medical doctors, more black nurses. Mm-hmm. We can certainly benefit from more black mental health professionals or just people who are, are doing this for the right reason. Uh, but luckily, do I believe there are enough mental health professionals out there? Sure. Okay. Uh, we, we have professional counselors. We have clinical social workers. We have licensed marital and family therapists. We have uh, licensed psychologists. And we have psychiatrists right. who have MDs. So those are the group of— Can you break down the differences in those? Very quickly, psychiatrists, they stand out the most. They have an MD, and they typically deal with people who have more severe pathology. Okay. And they can write out prescriptions. Gotcha. Uh, and they typically don't do a lot of counseling okay. or psychotherapy. Uh, there are a few who do, but typically they see you in 15, 20 minutes, assess you, and write out a prescription for you. So is this who sees you? After you've had the break, the police have gotten involved and they've taken you to the psych unit or to the emergency room. The, the psychiatrist is typically the one who writes out the prescription. So okay. he or she will either do the assessment mm-hmm. or they take the information from one of the other mental health professionals who can completed the assessment. Gotcha. But you're not seeing them on a regular basis. That is not your mental health doctor provider. No, he's going to do medi- he or she is going to do medication management. Gotcha. And make sure you're on the right medication. A psychologist has a PhD and they receive specialized training training in uh, pathology, counseling, psychotherapy, and assessment. 
um, to uh, assess a lot of those uh, mental disorders. But essentially, they do the same thing as uh, the professional counselors. Mm-hmm. Clinical social workers, has a, they have a little bit different training mm-hmm. where they help the clients to uh, connect with social services and community services that are out there. But they also do counseling and psychotherapy, just like the counselors. And marriage and family therapists specialize more in family therapy and couples counseling, right. but they're also available to provide counseling psychotherapy with somebody uh, experiencing a mental health uh, crisis. But those are all the people. Gotcha. Uh, and I'm a professional counselor. Um, and so uh, those three counselors, clinical social workers, MFTs, those are known as the master's level mental health clinicians. Gotcha. And you can stop at the master's level. Uh, PhD would be the psychologist, and then the MD would be the psychiatrist. Gotcha. But if you want counseling, mm-hmm. ongoing counseling, I recommend you find a professional counselor, clinical social worker, marriage and family therapist, or a psychologist. Gotcha. And you just need to find someone who's a good fit for you, and you feel comfortable talking to them. Gotcha. But there, there are enough out there. It's just you got to find the right one for you. It's like a match. And if it's not going well or you're just uncomfortable, regardless of how well, how competent the clinician is, um, then I encourage people to find another clinician. It happens. Gotcha. And sometimes I don't know the reason why. Uh, I get clients who have left another therapist. And on occasion, I've had a client or two who left me to go find somebody else. They wanted a female client, you know, or they wanted someone who was much older uh, than I am. So we, or I may remind them of their ex-husband. You know, anything can happen. I just encourage people to find someone who's a good match. So note to the listeners real quick, if you have mustered up the courage or the strength that you need to go and find yourself a professional to help you manage these issues don't be afraid to try more than one if you if it's not working test them out right interview them over the phone that's a good thought you you can certainly uh ask them are you experienced with this issue uh uh or um is this something you can deal with gotcha you can always ask that question okay so as we near the end of the interview i want to ask a few more questions so take your time i'm having fun i, I love anytime i can just sit back and, and let you talk to the listeners and educate them, we're doing it right. The less they hear of me and the more they hear of you, that, that's exactly how it should be. So in this moment, you are Thanos from Infinity War, the Avengers movie, the latest one. And you've got the power in your fingertips to snap and stop any one thing that we're doing from a mental illness standpoint. What's the one thing you snap your fingers and stop us from doing? Man, that is a loaded question. <laughs> oh, and it's not easy answering that. What what do I wish I had the power to change? Right. That would improve mental health conditions mm-hmm. within the black community. And while you're thinking about that, think about what you would have people start doing. So stop and start. You have so, the power. Right now that I've I've had a couple of seconds to think about it. <laughs> um I pray that with all the obstacles that we have as black folks in this country, and, and there there are some clear 
significant obstacles, economic obstacles, academic obstacles, right. uh, vocational ob- obstacles, law enforcement obstacles. With all those obstacles, I pray that we stop creating our own obstacles. Right. I I would be happy <laughs> when we stop hurting each other. That that would be a glorious day. I love that answer. That that's what I wish I had the power to stop. That that can help minimize mental disorders and conditions within the black community. Um, but it, but if we can stop exacerbating some of those obstacles and certainly stop creating some of those obstacles, we can um, have a much easier time in this life. Gotcha. So flip side, start. What do we start doing? Ooh, start doing. How about, and I can keep this just simple because, you know, that's not an easy question to answer. Right. <laughs> you know, let's let's just start helping and assisting the person you know who is struggling. Amen. And, and it doesn't have to be a pathological issue. Just notice that they're having a tough time dealing with something or uh, they're overwhelmed by something. It'll be great if we can just offer some type of assistance. And all that can be is simply asking sometimes, brother, are you okay? I love it. Or, or sister, how are you doing? You know, just 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 offering. But you know what? Uh, I don't know what to do about this. You know, it's all new to me. But, you know, maybe you need to go talk to somebody. You know, I'll I'll listen. You know, I don't know if I'm going to say the right thing, but, you know, you can always come to me and I'll I'll talk to you and I'll try to help you out. Something as opposed to ignoring it. Right. Or making fun of it. Which we are good at. Yes, we We are. are A lot of people are. It's not, you know, it's not, you know, exclusive to us. True. But um, I I would love to see us offer that type of um, compassion towards each other. So the last question I want to ask, um, and it's, this one is not a difficult one, but we are oh, we're, all good. <laughs> <laughs> we're seeing that the taboo on mental illness, the stigma is lifting. I don't know how significant of a lift it is. It's going away. Right. But we see it. We see it coming through in our books and our television, our friendships, our relationships, movies. If you look around you, you see more people talking about mental illness, talking about their mental illness, sharing stories of mental illness. So the two questions I have related to that are, what do you think is leading to the taboo lifting? And when do you think the taboo will be gone? I don't, I don't know if it's ever going to go away. That, that stigma about mental illness is not exclusive to the black community. Right. There are other communities that are also dealing with that stigma. There's just a right. lot of embarrassment and shame right. associated with it. I do see a change. I don't know what's contributed to it, to be honest with you. I'm just glad black folks are calling me (laughs) and coming in. If I can help you to improve your life, then you can improve the lives of your kids and your family members, your neighbors, your community, your friends. Maybe you can suggest to somebody else that they come in. And so I I don't know what... What made that happen? I'm I'm guessing that black folks just got tired of it, right? You know, and dealing with that, uh, and realizing, you know, I don't I don't have to deal with this on a daily basis. But that stigma is beginning to go away, and I'm seeing more people talk about it. 
I'm glad that you're talking about this topic, you know, just to let people know it's, it's, it's there. And it's, it's not going to go away just like other mental or medical conditions right. are not going to go away. And you have to treat it. Right. And uh, being depressed and mad and hostile on a daily basis um, should not be your norm. Right. And I see some people who... Nor should it be the norm of anyone around you, really. Anyone around you. And I'm seeing people who are tired of it. They want to do something different or they want to handle things differently. And so that's usually what I see. Or they're realizing something's not right because of the poor quality of their relationships Mm -hmm. on the job, their friends, family members, all of that. Um, I'm glad. I don't don't know what contributed to it. I don't know how to answer that. And I'll be honest with you. I don't care. (laughs) As long as it keeps happening. As long as you keep coming in, seeking out help, and encouraging other people to go seek some help, I'm, I'm happy for you. Cool. Well, that is the end of our time today. So with that, I always love to hand it over to our guest. Dr. Harrison is our guest today. I want to give you just a few moments to close out, tell the people whatever's on your heart to tell them. Oh, wow. Anything I want to say? No. (laughs) (laughs) I could just echo what I said earlier. I'm glad to be here to talk about this. I could talk about this all day. You know, I love this, what I do. I love my profession. I love helping people. Um, I just want people to know you do not have to suffer. Right. Either personally with some of the symptoms that are out there, or you don't have to suffer by watching a friend or loved one uh, go through this ordeal. It takes a toll on you. Right. Do something. I tell my clients sometimes nothing changes until you change. That's true. So think about what can you do differently to improve your life, your circumstances, and seek out help from somebody who's actually trained to help you. Love uh, it. As opposed to going to a friend or family member. Well, while black, you heard Dr. Harrison. Mental illness is something that's absolutely real in our communities. I guarantee you that if you are not the one suffering from it, someone in your circle is. Take heed to his words. Go out and love on those people. Support them. Ask them if they're okay. Let's remember the community. Let's remember the tribe. And let's remember to help each other. That's all we got for you today. Peace.